Good morning. If you're new or visiting, my name's Tyler. I lead our downtown congregation. Um, you've copied the scriptures. That's good. It will be all over the place today, so I don't have a specific place for you to turn. Um, but all the scriptures will be behind me. This is actually the third week, the third week of our series entitled, We. Now the point of this series is to focus on what, what makes us a church, what, what does it mean for us to be in this together? And it's called, We, precisely because what I really hope happens during this series is that the, the Austin Stone in your mind turns from this sort of nonprofit entity that you sort of attend and you always talk about it in the third person, the Austin Stone thinks this as if you're detached from that. And that what would happen is God would use this to bind us all together to say, no, 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 Austin Stone is us. It's not just you and it's not just me, it's us together. And so when we're talking about what does it mean to be a part of this church, I hope it becomes a we vision, a thing that we're in together. Because it's not, listen, the ch a church is not just a church based on relationships because sociologically speaking, you can have about seven really close friendships. And so a church, to be a church is relational, obviously, but also is to have this common vision of who is Jesus and a common vision of what does it mean for us to follow him together? That's the point of this series, to say, who are we? Not who are you, not who am I, but who are we together? And our mission as a church, as a people, what I hope you see as a people is really simple, is we love God, we love the church, we love the city, and we love the nations. And today we're looking at how do we love the city? So we're gonna hit three main things, okay? In your mind, if you're more linear, you're looking at three main things. His first is, why do we love the city and what do we mean by city? Two is the barriers to loving the city and three are practical steps and we're gonna have an exercise we're gonna do together. So buckle up for that coming up, okay? So first thing, the reason we love the city. At the end of the day, very simply put, the reason we love the city is because God loves the city. God loves the city and he commands us to do the same. Now we use the term city to lump together several things that God loves. Because you're not gonna find a verse explicitly in the Bible that says God loves cities as opposed to incorporated or rural areas in the country, right? That's not what we mean. The point of the term city is not to create a rigid definition of geographical boundaries, but the term city is meant to be a representation of the way God loves and sees a broken world. So by love the city, we mean two things primarily. Love for those who are far from God, and a holistic love for other people with, with a special emphasis on those on the margins. Love for those who are far from God and a holistic love for others, especially those on the margins. So here's the first thing. We love those, to love the city is to love those who don't know God through Jesus. Now obviously Christians live in the city, but there are many people in the city who don't know God through Jesus. And what's incredible about the heart and the nature of God is he has a love for those who have rejected him. He has love for those who have neglected him. Look at the most famous verse in the Bible. You have heard it before, you've seen it before, I'm sure. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, you've heard that, you've, if you watched football before, you've seen it in the stands somewhere, right? Right, you're aware of this verse, but our familiarity with it makes us forget the enormity of it. I want you to notice in this verse, what prompts God to send his son? It is not for God so hated the world. 
It is not for God was so annoyed with the world. It was not because God felt some sort of obligation for the world. It was for God so loved the world. He had compassion. He had mercy on his image bearers who were doomed to die under the curse of their sin and the weight of death. So when you see that term world, John the apostle, he wrote John, he wrote first, second, and third John as well. When he uses the term world, he doesn't just merely mean the entire planet, though he means that. But oftentimes when he uses, uses the term world, it represents all that is opposed to God. In his writings, the world is synonymous with brokenness and rebellion and decay. And he says this crazy thing, it's God's love for all that's broken, his love for all that's decaying that prompts him to send his son. And notice what his love prompts him to do, not just send a vision, not just send an angel, not just send some miraculous sign or another list of things to do. He doesn't send you a self-help book, he sends you his son. He has so much love for this world that's rejected him that he sends the most precious thing he has most valuable thing he has, his son. That's how God loves people in our city who don't know him yet. That's how he loves them. He sees them, he made them, he knows everything in our lives. He is intimately aware of people in our city. And maybe you're here, you're not a believer and you're checking this out, I'm really glad that you're here. He knows all, he knows your story better than you do. He knows your hurts, he knows your sins better than you do. And what does he do? He sends his son. And he knows that death and judgment await. Why? Because he's the judge. He's the ruler of all things. And so if this ruler, the Almighty, who he's been sinned against, if he so loves the world that he sends his only son, how much more should we love the world with what is precious to us? How much more, if our God loves the world, how much more should we sacrifice what is valuable to us so that others can know for themselves the shame-free love of God and Jesus? So to love the city is to love those who don't know God in our city. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is our love for the city is holistic love. It's holistic love. So yes, God wants people to hear his word, to study his word, to read it, to take the claims of Jesus seriously, to respond to him in confession and repentance and faith. But listen to me, church. His love is not solely for spiritual renewal. It is for total and complete renewal of the human experience. That's what his love is after. And this is all over the place in the Bible, but once again, I'll take you to a famous passage to show you this. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus was asked, what does it mean to inherit eternal life? What does it mean to inherit eternal life? So he tells this lawyer the parable of the Good Samaritan. It was a Jewish man. He had been beaten. He had been robbed. He had been left for dead on the side of the road. And these two very spiritual, very religious Jewish leaders, they pass by without helping him. And then comes a Samaritan, Luke 10, 33. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, like God, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds and pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. 
And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three, Jesus is talking, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Our love for the city is not solely spiritual. Our love for eternal life is not solely spiritual. Now hear me, it can never be less than spiritual. Many Christians have abandoned this too. They wanna be so helpful that they abandon the spirituality of our faith, let's not do that. It starts there but never ends there. Because the city, what the city represents are all the physical problems and social problems that hurt. And what do they do? Sin dehumanizes you. You're made, God is, is restoring you to be fully human in Jesus. And what sin does, it dehumanizes you. And the church, we can't look at physical problems, emotional problems, psychological, social problems, and just yell the gospel at it. And just shout promises at it. What does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Go and be like the Samaritan whose compassion made him bandage wounds. In that text, he doesn't tell that guy one thing about God. He just bandages wounds, takes care of his physical needs, and he takes a risk to love someone different than him. I mean, this parable, the Good Samaritan parable, it is inherently about ethnic groups loving one another across those lines. It's inherently about a Samaritan crossing ethnic boundaries to love a Jewish man. It's inherently about looking out for those who have been rejected and neglected and pushed to the side of society. What this parable does, it brings this nobility, it brings this honor to the entire human experience. That God doesn't just want you to read your Bible and to pray, he wants your entire reality and experience to be restored in his kingdom. The kingdom of God has something to say about all of life. Not just the church, not just Sundays. But God has a word and he has commands and he has a vision for all of life. So when we say love the city, we mean those far from God, we mean a holistic love for everyone. And lastly, we say love the city because listen, in some ways, all of human history is moving to the city where God is. The story of the Bible, it begins in a garden where God is fully present with the first two humans. And the story ends not in a garden, but in a city where God is fully present with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. It's important to John, who's writing Revelation, that you know it's a city we're going to. I'll read you two texts, Revelation 21, one through two. He says, then I saw, he's describing the last day, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more, verse two. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a new city that comes down. Revelation 22, one through two. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the lamb, verse two, through the middle of the street of the city. And on that street, there was no traffic, Austinites, right? It'll be gone, okay? Just smooth sail. Oriole's being traffic and he'll be happy about it, I don't know. Um, 
But eateth not of the river of the tree of life with the twelve kinds of fruit, yielding each fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. God loves cities because it's the fulfillment of his plan for his image bearers. That's why he loves cities. Now listen, it's not about the size of the city or how hip the city is. That's not what it's about. It's meant to represent a diverse collection of people who love God together, love one another, and work together to create a society that is better because we're all together in it. That's the point. That's why he's ending in a city, because it represents we're not scattered from each other, we're together. And it's not homogenous, it's diverse in every possible way. That's where God's taking humanity. And while we won't get to that ideal city until Jesus comes back and remakes all things, the, the, the church's role, your role, the greatest ambition of your life is not your family or your career. It really, it really is to be a part of a people who show the world a glimpse of what that city will be like one day. Everything we're doing is about showing the world the city that will be here one day. So that's what I mean when I say we love the city. That's why we love the city. It's those who don't know Jesus yet, the hurting and ignored, the whole person, not just the spiritual, and all human history ends in the city of God. Hear me really clearly. This is not a church program for us. This is not something you can just say, you know what, what do we get rid of this whole love the city thing when we're dead, right? It, it, it's a conviction. The programs and forms may change, but the heart of loving the city we're in, that can't change. If it changes, we're not faithful anymore. If it changes, then Jesus is no longer leading us because to follow him is to love the city around us. So that's why and, how, and what I mean. But here's the second thing. Here's the barrier. I think we're struggling to do this, though, more and more. Because the barriers to love our city are increasing. They're increasing. M many of us have issues personally about what it mean means to love the city. But one of the larger macro reasons we're struggling to do this is here's why. Christianity as a worldview, as a worldview has less and less influence and less and less in common with the culture in which we live. So here's what's happening, is if you believe the Bible, your starting place and your assumptions are beginning to become fundamentally different than the people in the city in which you live. Now let me say this really clearly, because some of you are like, that's right, something's wrong with us, right? Let me just tell you this. There are no good old days. Never was such a thing. It, the idea of good old days honestly has more to do with your personal experience, your ethnic background, where you grew up, has more to do with you than has to do about assessing objectively if another time was better than another. Because if you talk about 1950s America like it was the good old days, Maybe talk to an African-American brother or sister that may say different, right? Good old days is subjective. There are no good old days. Every single generation of the church has to assess the unique challenges of their context. Every generation. Because the world is broken. And so it's always gonna, gonna look unique in what it means for us now. This is true for the church 
all over the world for all time. And I want you to know there are many, many Christians all over the world right now who are going through way tougher things than what we're going through. It's important to have a sober judgment about ourselves and how difficult the things are we're facing. Relative to some of our brothers and sisters, it's not much. But it's still hard. And so what's unique about our context in Austin, and it's a trend for our entire country, is this term, and I want you to be familiar with it, is we are more and more post-Christian. And here's what that means. There's actually just a 10-year study by the Barna Group that was just released, and they were studying how post-Christian really is America. And by post-Christian, they had these 16 attributes that define a post-Christian sort of worldview. And it's basically, I don't assume anything Christianity assumes. And Austin, this 10-year study was just released, was the 25th most post-Christian city in America. Here's what that means. More and more people have no interaction with Christianity, no identification with it, and don't share that many beliefs with us. Just common sort of morality things. That's shifting. Now, it's really important you, when I say that, do not assume they're after us. Don't assume that. That doesn't mean they hate Christianity. That doesn't mean they're opposed to everything we believe necessarily. And it also doesn't mean there's less sincere Christians. I think what it's doing is eroding a sort of nominal belief. We kind of add Jesus into things, but you don't really care about it. That's sort of going away. But what it does mean is people around you, what you're describing in your worldview as a Christian is foreign to them. We're becoming, if you're a Christian and you believe the scriptures, you're becoming more and more of a foreign people to the place you call home. And this can be jarring for us. And to be really candid, what I'm finding, it's especially jarring for white Christians when I talk to my friends and family in this room who are men and women of color, it's less jarring for them because they're kind of used to not feeling at home here. But it's especially jarring when you're used to feeling like everything in my culture sort of I agree with. It's harder when it begins to feel like you're a foreigner in your place you grew up. So that experience is really making Christians uncomfortable. And so instead of us saying, hey, this is an opportunity for us to grow. This is an opportunity for us to rethink what does it mean to engage our city and serve our city and love our city? Instead of being optimistic about God's presence with us and the call that's on us, we begin to retreat a little bit. We begin to get a little bit more silent. And at one level, I really do understand it. I understand it because so many of us are very aware that you being a Christian at work or at school or in your neighborhood, if you tell people what you believe, you know you're gonna be the odd person out. I mean, I, I love, one of the common sort of things I hear from people in our church just praising God for is, I got this job or I'm in this class and I met at least one other Christian. Because it feels like I'm not alone in this but then the feeling then becomes that the kind of psychological feeling is, I'm just one of a few people adrift in this massive sea of different worldviews. What change could I really make? When you really believe, I'm just one of a few people in this workspace, I'm just one of a few people in this neighborhood, I'm one of a few people in this city and culture that believes what I believe, what begins to happen is you shift from how can I affect them and love them to how can I survive? 
When you have a mindset of scarcity, you're naturally gonna go, well, I need to make sure that I'm okay, not worry about engaging them. That's what happens, because we don't really think we can make an impact. So some of us are, are retreating. Others of us, you're, saying, you're thinking, no, I've tried. I've served people, I've talked to people about Jesus, and then you experience people's apathy to what you're saying. Or you experience their weirdness to what you're saying. And you're, you're, you're telling them this argument, or you're telling them your story, and they just kinda go, that's cool. Anyways, like they kinda move on, right? Or you try to invite them to church, and they just kinda go, yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe. And they never say anything back about it. And you just feel like they don't care. They really, they don't care. I'm trying and nothing seems to be happening. So we, we tend to give up. Or I think the last category, you find yourself getting into conversations or situations where you really feel out of your depth. People are asking questions and talking about sexuality or race or gender or doctrine. How was the Bible put together or suffering? And you feel yourself going, I'm at the end of the things that I currently know, right? And so I'm at least be humble and not say anything or I kinda know what I should say but I don't wanna be criticized. I don't wanna be seen in a certain light. So we tend to pull back. Now, why is this happening? Why is the church retreating? Do not think it's because the generation in which we live is worse than every other. That's not the truth. Once again, it is subjective to determine a generation's goodness or badness. No, here's what you're feeling. You're feeling what missionaries feel when they go to different cultures. You're feeling that this worldview we're trying to explain is so foreign. And the more foreign something is, do you know what your tendency to do? Your tendency is to dismiss that thing or believe a caricature about that thing. And that's what I'm learning as a pastor in this city is that, listen, just to, just to set your expectations, if you're a new Christian especially, I really believe we're going to increasingly not fit into the categories people think we're in. We're going to increasingly not fit into the categories. Why? Because our worldview is not at the center of culture anymore. It's on the fringes. And most people don't really interact with an actual sincere Christian with nuance and a story. They just kind of know the caricature of what Christians are like. So it's easy to lump us into categories that actually don't define what we really believe. Let me give you an example of this. One of our um, really faithful partner at the Stone, been part of the Stone for a long time, they've been very, very involved in nonprofit work in our city. They actually work in the marketplace now, but they've given a decade, a decade of their life to all sorts of nonprofit, uh, nonprofits in our city to tackle all sorts of issues from poverty to homelessness, to education, to refugees, to foster care system, and on and on I could go. So being involved in all these different organizations it's put them around many people who are, have a common cause but who aren't Christians. So there's one night they went to dinner together and this person's at dinner with some other people they've known for some time who aren't Christians. And in that topic of conversation, abortion came up. Now, let me just say this before I even talk about abortion. I know for some of you there's just so much pain with that. I want you to know we love you, we wanna talk with you. Don't feel this church can't understand your story. Man or woman in here, I want you to know that, okay? That has nothing to do with, I'm not getting into some teaching on it, but I wanna say that before I even talk about this story. So the topic of abortion came up at dinner and the partner at the, of, of the stone 
explain why they're pro-life. Explain why they wanted to protect the unborn and they wanted to care for the mother as well. And as soon as they said that, they received immediate pushback because the people across them had a caricature about what that meant to be pro-life. In their mind, oh, so you must wanna get rid of all healthcare for women completely in the name of pro-life. They had this immediate thought, well, if you believe this, then it must mean this, right? Well, the partner's response was, oh, no, no, that, that's not true. They explained, no, we think everyone, the, the Bible says everyone in that scenario is in the image of God. The unborn child in the womb, the mother who's carrying her, the dad who is a part of this, and we wanna honor and love everyone in that, so it's not that healthcare and services for women should be denied, absolutely not they should receive healthcare. It's specifically the aborting of these image bearers and the poor ways we have cared for and counseled mothers in the process. Well, now that's a nuanced worldview right there. And those non-Christians who had never really interacted with that were honestly, they told me, they were a little stunned. Like, oh, I didn't, I didn't know that you could actually believe that. Now, it didn't make them agree with us, but it made them get rid of the caricature in their mind because it's a little more complicated than that. And I want you to know, it's gonna happen more and more. More and more people, especially our city, is gonna wanna put us into preconceived notions about who we are, and the scriptures, not church, the scriptures are going to undermine those categories. So they're gonna hear that as a people, we hold to the Bible's view of sexuality and the covenant love between husband and wife, and then they're gonna jump to conclusions about what that means about us. And then we're gonna say, oh, but we also love and esteem our brothers and sisters in Christ who experience same-sex attraction. We have men and women at our church who experience that and they lead in our church. And then people are gonna disagree with us and we're gonna respond, and we're gonna respond not in fear, we're gonna respond in love and respect and kindness and they're gonna go, I don't, I don't have a category for that. They're gonna hear we're pro-life, which starts with un the unborn, but then they're gonna jump to conclusions about what that means. And then we're gonna tell them, oh no, it also means caring for the mother. Oh, and it also extends to dignity for refugees and immigrants and men and women of color who have been historically oppressed in our country. They're gonna go, I don't have a category for that. They're gonna hear we're generous to the poor, that we desire to love across ethnic boundaries with a special emphasis of a majority white culture learning and listening to our non-white brothers and sisters. And go, okay, so I kinda know how you vote now. And then we're gonna tell them, oh, in our church, people vote all over the place. Because we have differing views on the role of government in the life of society. And yet we're still together. They're gonna, not gonna have a category for that. We're going to be, can you just embrace it with me? We are going to be this gloriously strange people. We're not gonna fit categories. And we should feel no obligation to. Because we submit not to cultural categories, but to the word of God. Whatever category that puts me in in one conversation, okay, as long as the word of God says it, I don't really care. He's the one that knows what's good, not my culture. And we're gonna be a people who stay engaged in our city and love our city, not out of fear, not out of anger, because they're so bad, but out of love for people and confidence that God is with us through everything, even in a foreign land. Even in a place that feels less and less like home, that's probably a good thing for us. 
much like the exiled people of Israel, the people of Israel were moved to Babylon, we're gonna be just like them. We're gonna plant roots deep here. We're gonna enjoy this city like everybody else. We're gonna serve this city more than anybody else and we're gonna do it according to God's holy love and now his holiness will feel strange to them. But his people will know, oh, that's just his holiness you're experiencing. This was God's word to an exiled people who felt very, felt very other in the land that they were in. Jeremiah 29.4 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon to stop, you've been put here by God. He put you here. Here's what he says. In a, in a land where you can feel uncomfortable, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare, the peace, the flourishing of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And listen, sometimes our city flourishing will mean things we don't agree with getting promoted. It's part of it. I don't, we don't have to be scared. God's with us. He's with us through all of this. So we can love and serve other people. So let me, how do we do that? What does that look like? I wanna give you three practical steps and then we're gonna do an exercise and I wanna give you an encouragement. Here are the three steps, okay? Just real practical. Here's what you need to do. First thing, model a better story. Model a better story. When you attempt to describe someone what we believe, we believe Jesus died, rose from the dead, lives in heaven, coming back on a horse. Sound kind of strange? Doesn't that feel like, hmm, I wonder if I have never heard that before, if I would think that sounds made up. <laughs> people in our city, listen, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you resonate with this. It's not that people in our city can't cognitively understand what you're saying. It just feels like a myth and a fairy tale. It'd be like someone telling you that Harry Potter was real. They describe every movie, they're like, no, dude, it's for real. And, and, and the other person would think, I better start seeing some wizard stuff then, you know what I'm saying? And in so many ways, I'm telling you, when you begin to describe what life in Jesus is like, they're gonna think, I need to see Leviosa. You need to show me what that means. Because if you can't show me, it feels fictional, right? So since we can't show them Jesus yet, he's coming back soon, we have to show them a life and a better story. I was talking with someone in our church who has actually been in the process of re-entering faith and re-entering the church. They left for a long time. And the line they told me, and I, was, and I love they said, and they were that honest, they said, Show me how the gospel works. I understand the theory of it. Show me how it works. How does it affect your daily living? How does it affect you and how you plan your schedule and your calendar and spend your money? People need to see a story, not a theory of it. And what is a story? It's messy. It's complicated. Because it's lived out and has nuance. And there's some days you don't want to, and some days you do. Theory and doctrinal statements tell you what should be. A story tells you how those things meld together with where you actually are. So model a better story. Second thing, initiate and build friendships. Initiate and build friendships. Austin is one of the loneliest cities in the country. It, it is 
been diagnosed as one of the loneliest cities in the country and we're only getting more disconnected from one another. It's also one of the most economically and racially segregated cities in the country. And people are still moving here in droves. So for us, what I'm finding out, people are still just as hungry for connection. We do a connect class here every three times a year and every time it's 200 people sign up for it. Why? Because everyone wants to feel connected and nothing in our society helps them get connected. Everyone wants to belong to a diverse community of people, but no one knows how to do it. People wanna have policies but not change dinner tables. And so for us as the people of God, I think one of the unique things we'll be able to offer to our city is the ability to actually build friendships to show them what community looks like because everything in our culture is subverting our desire for connection because our culture says sacrifice for no one else. Don't have personal interaction, have online interaction. Do what's quick, do what's easiest. All those things subvert actual relationships because they require sacrifice, it requires time, it ta- it's pretty slow. And so for us, one of the things that you could do is be the one who's like, I'm gonna be the one to show people how to build friendships. You be the one to host dinners. Hospitality is the way forward. And people aren't gonna know what to do. I was hosting a group the last two years of a connect group and, and, and they're all like 24 years old and what was great about it is they just didn't know how like dinner parties work quite yet, or some of them. I'm not saying you're 24, you don't know how, some of you are very sophisticated 24 year olds, okay? I'm just saying there were some, and so we had a, a text uh, chain or group me or whatever and, and I was like, hey, we could use, Lauren was like, we could use some help. I mean, I don't take more credit than I should. Lauren said, hey, we could use some help for people to bring stuff, crickets. Now everyone, now, everyone showed up and only one guy was like, I mean, I could bring some big red. And I was like, get out, get out. Don't, don't bother coming. If you bring cheese cubes too, leave. Like that's, people, so many of you, listen, I know how lonely so many of you are. It is, listen, and I'm not, downplaying it all, it's not all your fault. I know it's hard to have friends in the city. But this is the role of the church to say, if anyone knows how to forgive and be long-suffering, it's people who believe the gospel. Build and initiate friendships. Last thing, sacrifice for those on the margins. Sacrifice for those on the margins. This is where we can probably show our city more than anything we could say what God's love is like. Caring for people that others in the city sort of take for granted and push to the side. People who are chronically ill or of mental health, people our society forgets about. Care for those who won't post a picture of you online helping them. Care for those who won't give you any social power whatsoever when you help them, it'll just benefit them. I, ho- I wish the nonprofits in our city would be full of Christians or that we would start new nonprofits in order to serve and care for the least of these because the problems are complex. You can't just go and solve it in a moment that we'd be long suffering and loving in how we think about loving our city. Those are the three things. So now we're gonna do something crazy. I'm gonna make you talk to people at church, okay? This is weird for some of you. Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna have, I'm gonna give you a couple of minutes, maybe three or four minutes, and you're gonna turn turn to people around you, okay? And when you turn, you do this, you turn, okay? And you say, you go, hi, my name's Tyler. And then if you're the person, you go, hi, my name's whatever. And then you become best friends right there, that's how it happens, okay? 
So you're gonna turn to each other and here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna talk about what does it mean for you to follow Jesus? And I, I'm gonna have some, go and put those questions up there for me. Okay, and I put, and I, you're like, oh God, is it exam? Take it easy, okay? <laughs> Goodness gracious. You're already quitting, you haven't even read it yet. Okay. The, the question number two for both is the same, but I put two categories because I, I don't wanna assume anything. Some of you are Christians in here. Some of you, I know you're re-entering faith in church right now and you're like, I don't wanna talk to nobody. That's okay, I get it. But just turn to somebody and listen to them. Just listen. But here's the questions I want you guys to ask. If you're a Christian, who are the people who don't believe in Jesus you need to build friendships with? And how can you do that? Like, what does it mean to do that? And then what's a cause to serve the powerless under-resourced in our city that you're passionate about? And what's one thing you could do? Because you can't solve every problem in our city, but we can all take little steps towards one thing. And if you're non-Christian in here, or you're kind of coming back into faith, what's your main hangup been with Jesus? Maybe God brought you here to have, you've heard nothing that I've said, totally fine. But you need to talk to someone about that. Maybe there's suffering you've gone through you never told anybody. And then if you're, you're not a Christian, what's the way that you wanna serve the city? I want, you, I want the city to be great. It's gonna take us partnering with people who don't believe what we believe to do that. So go ahead and do that. I'm gonna give you three minutes. Turn to each other, greet each other. You're gonna talk, answer these questions, and I'll come back up and close this out. And don't go to the bathroom right now. All right, man, you guys like this exercise. You're tired of me talking, I feel that. Let's go ahead and just turn, gosh, you guys already made best friends. Let's go ahead and turn, let's turn it back. I know you wanna keep talking. There's so many things to share. Hey, for real, let's go. <laughs> That's awesome, I love that. We're gonna do that at every service now. You're like, I'm gonna have to obey some stuff? Okay, here's the thing, here's the thing. As you guys are having those conversations, what you're going to realize is you can't have the entire conversation. Uh, here, here's what I would just say. Maybe if you met somebody just now, maybe you guys go get brunch after this. Seriously, I would love to, I love brunch. Can I come with you? Um, I can stay here for 11, but I, seriously, some of you are thinking, hey, we need to keep having this conversation. Some of you can take a risk and just go to lunch together right after this and finish that conversation because it's Sunday, Sundays are great. Just go do that, okay? Here's how I'm gonna end it. I had someone ask me this week, I was at, uh, we're having drinks and someone asked me this week of water and we're having, and <laughs> it was the best water I've ever had. And they asked me a question, they said, how do you make the gospel good news to somebody else? They're asking me like, how, how do you do that? And I thought it's a really good question. How do you make the gospel, not just news, not just information, but like good news for somebody? And I told them what, honestly, I do most of the time is the main thing I wanna do, because every, everyone's so unique. Everyone's stories are so unique. That's why I love getting to know people. Every person is fascinating. We get to know them because their story is gonna be fascinating. And what I've learned is for all the uniqueness of every human being, the only thing I can do is make sure the gospel is good news to me first. That's what I have to do. If you're a Christian, that's what you have to do. Make sure the gospel is good news to you first. Because if, I, if I'm really, if you're really understanding what it means to be loved by God in Jesus, that's all you'll need to help other people. If it hits you, I'm telling you, people are evangelists, whatever hits them. And when the love of God hits you, like, I don't deserve this, 
He's better than me than I could ever imagine. He's been with me through all the through thick and thin in ways no one else has. It needs to be good news for you in a fresh way. Not just it was good news 10 years ago or five years ago or a year ago, but how is it good news this week? And so for me, let me give you just a specific way it's good news for me like right now. I've been reminded the last two weeks that Jesus is the friend to me no one else can be. He genuinely is the friend that no one else can be because every other friend I'm gonna have is going to fail me, he's not. Every other friend I'm ever gonna have is gonna over-communicate or under-communicate, but he's always gonna say what's right. Other friends around me are not gonna show up for me when I need them, and not because they're evil, but because they tried, but they couldn't overcome every barrier, but yet Jesus can't be stopped of being my friend. He can't stop being beside me, because death couldn't stop him, no circumstance can stop him. He's the one I'm actually after, and he promises me, even in everything you're gonna go through, Tyler, I'm going to be with, be with you to the end of the age. And I've just been just blowing my mind this week that everybody here has been failed by people and you'll still be failed by people. If you put them on a pedestal, they'll always let you down, but Jesus will actually stay with me through everything. He knows me better than anybody and he loves me better than anybody. That, that has just been hitting me afresh. So if that hits me afresh, I know how to be helpful to other people. This is what Jesus sent us to do. I'm ending with this and we're done. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Look how he uses his authority, to commission you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We are sent to tell them and love them and serve them, not to enforce our rules upon them so that they would know what we know. But there's nobody like Jesus. There's no one whose presence, whose authority, whose love is even close. That the best friend, the best lover you can find in this world will end up being nothing in comparison to him. So when it's good news for you, it'll be good news for them. And our city will be different and our joy will be full and we will help as one little church, we will help our city be a little bit closer a little bit closer to that great new city that God's bringing with him when he makes all things new. That's your story. He uses authority to commission you and be with you. So follow, whatever that means. Let's pray. Father, right now, would you fill your church with your spirit to do the work you've called us to do, to see the greatness and beauty and splendor of Jesus and all of his love for us, and that you would begin right now to remind us we've been forgiven, we've been cleansed, we've been commissioned, and it's not based on how well we've done, but based on what you say about us. So God, help us be a church that loves people who are different than us, that models a better story, that initiate and builds friendships, that sacrifice for those on the margins. God, I don't wanna just do this today. I wanna do this for the next 50 years. I want the city of Austin to love that we're in it. I want the city of Austin to disagree with us and think we're crazy, and yet because we're so kind about it, they don't know what to do with us. Because God, come what may, Whatever the future brings, because God, you bring in 
circumstances that are challenging, whatever it is, the promise you give to us, Jesus, is you will be with us through all of it. And that really is the joy of it. God, I know you're going to, this year, through men and women in this room, you're going to help our friends in this city see that they can be loved with no conditions. You're gonna help those who have been oppressed and crushed be served and lifted up to contribute and be a part of this and lead us and learn from them because through men and women in this room. God, I want bigger dreams than just more money and more platform. God, those dreams are small. They're so small. God, I want you to give this church dreams of people being loved and served and healed and restored and back in relationships, learning how to trust other people again. And that we'd be the ones to do it because God, that's what your gospel is to us. You cross heaven and hell, Jesus, to show us what your love is like. So help us first know the good news, the gospel for us. And whatever that means, God, just the one thing that means for us, help us do it today. Help us go to lunch today and keep talking about this. Start praying about this. Spirit, fill us up to do it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's sing together.